there were some Pharisees who grumbled about the company that our Lord Jesus Christ kept with sinners and tax collectors. And this is part of his response to that grumble. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. And is found. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Thank you. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. 
So we come to this familiar passage in Luke today. Let's take a moment to remember that we're traveling with Jesus on the pilgrim journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. Let us remember also the clash of kingdoms, the clash between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of heaven that undergirds all of Luke's two-volume narrative. We pick up this story today as Jesus is found, once again, associating with tax collectors and sinners. Once again, the Pharisees take offense and grumble. And Jesus responds with three lost and found stories. A shepherd counts his sheep. He gets to 99 and realizes that one is lost. And he leaves the flock and goes out to find the one that is lost. And when he finds it, he calls all his friends and relatives and they have this great party to celebrate. A feast. Perhaps even a lamb. And a woman counts her coins. She gets to nine and recognizes that one is lost and she spends the rest of the day, she stops everything, sweeps under the tables, looks under the rugs, and when she finds the lost coin, she, find, she calls all her friends and relatives. She throws a great party. Perhaps she spends more celebrating than the value of the coin. As I read these stories, I'm reminded of Alan Greenspan's term, irrational exuberance in the description of these celebrations. Before we get to the third lost and found story, the lost and found sons, let us remember what we heard in our other readings. Paul reminds us that in Christ we're a new creation. And he calls us to be reconciled to God and walk in the ministry of reconciliation. We heard about Joshua entering into the land of promise, crossing the Jordan, encountering the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua asks, are you for us or are you for them? And the Holy One answers, no. <laughs> now as we come to the gospel and hear the parable of the lost sons, I invite you to set aside any familiarity we, you might have, and hear with new ears. A man had two sons. And in this beginning, we hear some scriptural echoes. Two sons, Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, Ephraim and Manasseh. Stretching a bit more, we might hear of the conflict between Joseph and his brothers, they even sell him into slavery. We might hear as well the two tribes, the two kingdoms, as, as the one kingdom of Israel split apart into Israel and Judah, into Jerusalem and Samaria. For the broader audience, that gathers around Jesus, we might hear a contrast or a challenge to the origin myth of the Roman Empire, the two sons, Romulus and Remus. We hear about two sons and we recall Luke's focus on genealogy, his warning not to find identity as children of Abraham. Man has two sons. 
And the younger son, perhaps if we look back at Scripture, the favored son comes and claims his inheritance early. And the father divides his property between his sons. The younger son departs to a far-off country where he squanders his wealth and ends up destitute. Let's take a moment to look at those layers in the parable up to this point. Jesus, traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, perhaps through the region of Samaria, the region that's formed as Israel breaks away from Judah. The people who took the inheritance of the land and squandered it on idolatry and were scattered by the Assyrians into far-off lands. Perhaps a preview of those who are gathered to Jerusalem from those far-off lands and are filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Jesus, in his travels, is associating with various tax collectors and sinners, the ones who have taken the inheritance of Torah, taken the inheritance of community, and squandered it. Perhaps we can even see ourselves in this younger son, we might recall a rash word that squandered a friendship, a grievance that caused us to flee from community or even to flee from family. We see a father who waits, watching the road, perhaps even to the point of neglecting the son who remains, the shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one. Perhaps we can see ourselves so focused on what is lost that we're unable to enjoy what remains, so focused on regret that we damage the relationships that remain, so paralyzed by fear or status or pride or uncertainty that we can do nothing more than wait and hope for reconciliation. And we see a brother who broods nursing his bitterness, so determined to not be like his brother that he is unable to see and enjoy the blessings around him. Perhaps we can see ourselves in this brother as well. In our parable, it's the younger son who initiates reconciliation. It's the younger son who reaches out to the father. The younger son who notices what is lost and goes to search. But there are a number of reasons not to associate the Father in this parable with God the Father. I think this is the most compelling. In the previous two lost and found stories, it's the shepherd who searches for the lost sheep, and the woman who searches for the lost coin. Here, it's the lost younger son who sets out to search for the lost father the lost brother. All three are lost. All three are in desperate need of reconciliation. Now, whether out of true contrition or out of manipulation or some measure of each, this younger son begins to re rehearse an apology of sorts, a start of reconciliation. He sets out on the road, and when he's still far off, his father sees him, and in seeing him alive and returning, does not even hear his words. 
and instead calls for gifts and feasting. It's interesting to consider whether the father had generated some new wealth after dividing his household between his two sons, or perhaps he never really gave the portion to the older son, or perhaps he's giving what is not his and belongs to someone else. We see the theme of reconciliation carried forward from the previous parables. A sheep returned to the herd, a coin returned to the purse, a father returned to a son, and a son returned to a father. Reconciliation of any form is a cause for great celebration, except for the older brother. Was he forgotten in the field? Did no one remember to go and tell him? Was he working when he should have been watching? Was he pouting and no longer participating in the life of the household? Why does he not come and celebrate? And the beauty of the parables is they hold before us a mirror and show us the possibilities that lie in our own hearts. They raise questions that are only answered as we come before the Lord in prayer, as we come before the Lord and listen. Regardless of how the older brother missed the invitation, his anger and bitterness still prevent him from entering into the celebration, prevent him from participating in the reconciliation that is occurring. You know, it's easy to find fault in this older brother, but he also teaches us an important lesson about the nature of reconciliation. Let us for a moment assume that relational hurt is simple. Let's assume that I have hurt you in some way, and you bear no fault in it, you have not hurt me. For true reconciliation to occur, I need to hear the fullness of your hurt and acknowledge my part in it. And then we must both decide that the relationship between us is more important than the hurt that is separated. We must both decide, in full knowledge of all the hurt, that our relationship is more important than the hurt. You see, the older brother refuses the shallow attempt at reconciliation that ignores the wound. He refuses to put a fresh coat of paint over a wall covered in mold. He refuses to slap a Band-Aid on an arterial bleed. The older son pushes us to consider the hard path of reconciliation, the path that leads to Jerusalem, the path that leads to the cross. We know that relational injury is rarely simple. Rarely is the hurt one-sided. Rarely is the hurt confined to a single incident or even a single relationship. We may even hold wounds that we have inflicted upon ourselves in the name of another as our self-talk leads us to hear what the other person has never said in our own imaginations. Friends, this is why reconciliation is not a task to be accomplished, a skill to be learned. It's not a program or a life hack. Reconciliation is a ministry. 
Christ showed us the way of reconciliation, demonstrating on the cross the full extent of the injuries and wounds that we cause. And then rising from the tomb, he offers to us his nail-scarred hands, his spear-pierced side, proclaiming the love he holds for us is more important than the wounds that we have caused. Reconciliation is indeed not simple. We get into our own way. We ask, like Joshua, for, to be, for God to be on our side and against the other person. We resist as God invites us into his work. In fact, true reconciliation is not even possible by our own efforts. We are incapable. We need a mediator. We call and Christ sends forth the Holy Spirit, commissioning us to be reconciled to God and to go forth in the ministry of reconciliation, to go into the world not with shallow attempts at appeasement, but in the deep healing that is reconciliation, the deep healing that is only possible by the Holy Spirit. Reconciliation is not easy, and reconciliation is not cheap. In fact, we learn from the lost and found parables that reconciliation often costs more than we have lost. But we also learn that reconciliation is beautiful and joyful and worthy of celebration and even feasting. And so, today, at this time, Christ invites us to this very table to enjoy the great feast of reconciliation. Will we come like the younger son, in desperation with a heart set somewhere between manipulation and contrition? Will we come like the father, ignoring our own wounds, perhaps even ignoring our own parts in the wounding? Will we be like the older brother, refusing to participate as we hold on to our anger and bitterness? Pray that instead we will come to this table guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit, reconciled to the Father and the Son. I pray that we will come bravely, acknowledging our own wounds and presenting them to Christ for healing. I pray that we'll come bravely, acknowledging our own part in wounding others, trusting that the Holy Spirit will be our advocate, our guide, mediating reconciliation our damaged relationships. I pray that we will come to this table knowing that the old has passed away and the new has come. And I'll pray that we depart from this table knowing that indeed we are a new creation in Christ, empowered and commissioned as ambassadors of the kingdom, entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.